Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's student ministry sermon. Last week we looked at two letters that Paul wrote to the same church, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And for the next two weeks we're going to be looking at uh, two more letters written to the same church, but a different one, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They were both written to the church in Corinth, but they're a lot longer, so we've got to give them both their own week. And Paul was actually in Corinth whenever he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians, and he's been about a year and a half there, so he had a pretty decent ministry. And uh, Corinth was, I mean, it was one of those cities where maybe you visit every now and then, but not a lot of people would want to live there. Uh, it, was, it was a land of opportunity, uh, religious opportunity. One traveler said just in a walk through the city, he found at least 26 different religious sacred sites. So if you wanted to worship this God or that, that God or, or this goddess, you could just find whatever you wanted. A financial opportunity. It was a newer city, so there wasn't a lot of old families ruling everything. And sexual opportunity, to be honest. It was, uh, in the ancient world, they, they made up a word called to Corinthianize, and it meant to commit sexual fornication. Matter of fact, one, uh, one writer said that not every man can afford the trip to Corinth. And he's referring to their flourishing and somewhat expensive sex industry. Uh, Somebody once said, if you take Vegas and New York and L.A. and mash them up into one, you get Corinth. So that's the city that we're talking about. And the church was kind of a hot mess, too. Uh, They had had, uh, people getting drunk at communion. They had um, one guy was actually in a sexual relationship with his stepmom. And not only was this happening, but they looked at that and they they weren't ashamed of it. They were like, well, this means we're spiritual and sophisticated. So they were a mess. And Paul hears about this from two sources. Uh, He gets a letter from the church saying, hey, will you help us deal with just a list of issues? And then he gets a report from one of the groups of people that he knew that said, hey, here's kind of what's going on. And so he wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to address these various issues. And really the whole letter revolves around one thing, how to be God's holy people in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of interest in God. Sound familiar? And so, in a way, 1 Corinthians is very relevant to our world because we find ourselves in a similar situation. And Paul's point pretty consistently through the whole thing is be holy, which means be separate, be different. You don't follow the same rules as the people who you know in the world. So you're not expected to live the same way. And you probably ought to expect that sometimes people are going to look at you and say, you're kind of weird. And so Paul's very clear about you separate from the darkest darkness, not so that you can feel good about yourself, but so that you can bring light back to that darkness. You're not leaving the world. You're just living differently within it. And so that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. So uh, lean in and listen as we talk about surrendering to the change by separating together so that we might advance God's kingdom in our world. From the moment you were four weeks old, your heart started beating. Ever since then, every single day, a thousand, a hundred thousand times a day, your heart beats, sending 1.5 gallons of blood through your body. It literally is pumping life into you. The heart is a delicate thing. It's a fragile thing. It's a thing that gives us life. And it's the thing that the world points to. It's the thing that the world tries to poke holes in. In fact, St. Augustine, a philosopher back in the day, he said that we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. 
And the world continues to put that hole in our heart time and time again. And we pursue a chance to fill it. And the world knows this. We're coming up on a holiday. It's maybe some of your favorite holiday. For guys in here, it may not be your favorite holiday. But money talks and $18.9 billion a year goes to what holiday? Valentine's Day. $18 billion a year, 180 million cards sending your way to say happy Valentine's Day. I mean, this is not just sentimental stuff, right? It's not just, uh, you know, fluffy hearts and make you feel good type of love. It's not the way that the America tries to put the hole in your heart, right? It's not just about hol- the holiday of Valentine's Day. It's not just one time a year, but it's over and over and over again. Guys, maybe your favorite holiday is coming up this Sunday. Can I get an amen? What is that? Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl is my favorite holiday because a couple things. One is I get to watch football. The other is I get to watch what? Commercials. So here we go. The world continues to poke holes at our heart, continues to aim, continues to sharpen up the knife to stab us right in the heart and say, you know what? You need more. And we're going to show you what you need based off of all the indulgences that you could ever want, ever imagine. And we're going to put it right on the tube for you so you can see it. And so here's some of my favorite Super Bowl commercials. We're going to start with this one. This is a commercial by Doritos. Check it out. Welcome aboard, folks. Just go ahead and take any empty seat that you see. Oh, I hope it's not contagious. So I do have it. mom wakes up, can you tell her about me? So one of the holes in our heart is intimacy. We all pursue it. We all want it. And especially when we get into high school, it's all we can think about, right? We want to be intimate with one another. We want to be intimate in a relationship. And so we find intimacy in so many ways. And we see it on the tube all the time, right? Commercials are flaunting it. They're, they're uh, selling us sex constantly. And one of the things that they have in the back pocket is they know that we crave intimacy. It's the hole that's in our heart, and we want to fill it. The second one is this. Check it out. Hey, Joe, when are you ever going to put your idea online? Relax, Cal. It's not like anyone else is going to have the exact same idea that popped into my head. How do you know no one else has thought of it, Ari? Because they haven't, Kelly. It's totally original. It's one in a gazillion. Oh, really? 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 It's idiot-proof. It's a real moneymaker. And thank goodness I put it online first. More champagne, sir? More everything, Sky Waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Don't wait. Register your big idea as a .co domain at GoDaddy. We want to have the next big idea because we want purpose. And another hole that's in our heart is just that. We want to have purpose in life. We want to have the next greatest idea so we can be rich and famous and have a little bit of everything, darling, or whatever she says. So the third thing is this, the other hole in our heart. And man, it really tugs at us. And Coke does a really good job with selling it. Let's see it.
purpose and identity. The holes that are in our heart oftentimes revolve around those three things. Identity is a big thing. We identify with so many things in our life and the reality is these things are not an ancient or a modern thing. They're an ancient thing. These things are not just new like this just didn't come out where oh man we all of a sudden this in this century the 21st century we have these problems in our lives right? But this is, a, this is an ancient problem that we have. In fact, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says that God had made the hearts of man crave eternity or put the hearts of eternity in man. And so we crave eternity. We crave something bigger than ourselves. We have that God-shaped hole in our heart and we try to fill it and pursue anything that's going to fill it. The heart is something that the Bible talks about over a thousand times. In fact, Solomon is recorded to say in, in uh, Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The psalmist says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Like I said, there's over a thousand times that we see heart displayed in the Gospels, displayed in the Scriptures, over and over and over again. And the thing about the heart is not the detachment of the heart and the head, but the fact that when we talk about heart or when the scripture talks about heart, it's literally talking about the center of who you are, who you, who, what, what makes up you. And so Paul, as we've been talking about Paul this semester, Paul uses heart and soul interchangeably. He talks about heart and soul of a man being the center of who, or she, who he or she is. And the world knows it. That at the center of our being, at the center of who we are, we have this God-shaped hole that we are constantly trying to fill. And when we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping everything else, and it's called idolatry. And so we pursue it. Just as Michael talked about the church in Corinth, they continue to pursue things with their heart. And the society continued to pursue them in the same way. And so this is, you know, as Michael said, this is a church that's new, Christians that are new to Christianity. And they're looking at a world, a landscape that has endless opportunities. There's so much that this, this area of the world, Corinth, had to offer. He talks about it being L.A. and New York and, um, L.A., New York and, uh, what was the other one? And Vegas, together. And so you guys can picture in your mind all those things that these cities have to offer, and Corinth was that. And so what was happening is that these Christians were taking what the world had to offer and sprinkling a little, sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on top. Does it sound familiar? So much of our life is pursued in that way. So much of our heart is slanted towards that so much of our desires are saying, man, I want just a little bit more of all these other things. And I'll just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top. 
And so our heart craves, our heart desires. And again, the world continues to shoot holes in it over and over and over again. The world is cutting, literally cutting a hole in our heart and we need to fight for it. We need to fight for the heart of the king. We need to fight for the fact that our heart is broken and it needs mending. And you guys know that there's only one way in which we can mend our hearts and we can't do it. And that's what Paul talks about is that Jesus is the one that can mend it. And so in 1 Corinthians, he's walking through all these things that the Corinthian church is struggling with. And he gets to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is, is an incredible chapter that talks a lot about unity, talks about togetherness, talks about how each one of us as the church, each one of us has a position, a posture, a, an opportunity, an ability, a gift to contribute to one another. And he uses this body as, a, as an illustration he said, if we're all feet, we can't make up the body. If we're all hands, we can't make up the body. But we all have individual parts that make up the whole. We're all together in this. Not because of what we do, but because of what, who Christ is. And Christ has gifted you, postured you to be the man and the woman that he has created you to be through him. And that's what makes up the church. This is church, guys. I don't know if you knew that. If you, you know, knew here, this is what this is about. This is who we are. And so we have these opportunities to display our gifts and our talents for God's glory, to advance the kingdom, to separate together, separate from the world, the world that's continually shooting holes in our hearts and say, you know what, we're going to lock arms and be together in this. And nothing's going to separate us, not our schools, not our sports, not our clubs, not our cliques. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ and the love that we have for one another. And so unity binds us. Together, it strengthens us. It shields us from the darts that continue to fly by and whiz by our, our heads to our hearts. And so what does it mean to be unified together? I think it clearly means this. Jesus says it, and then Paul talks about it. Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. By your love. Man, when we hear that word, and I know it's coming up, and so it's easy to think about it, but when we hear that word love, we often think about just the sentimental crap, if I could say that, that is so much displayed in our society. You know, we think of love like we think of the, the pretty little hearts or the heart candy canes or the heart candies. We think of, I think of Valentine's Day. We think of the emotions that we have, the fluttering, the batting of the eye, the, the leap out of your chest kind of feeling when a girl actually likes you guys, and or the feeling of just that stomach in your pit feeling when a guy actually talks to you girls. And that feeling that we have, it, it all of a sudden just kind of carries us away like we're floating in the sky and playing harps and we're just so in love. And it's such a misinterpretation of what love actually is. It's actually really unfortunate that we have that picture in our minds because love is quite opposite of that. In every stretch of the imagination and 
in, in fact, at every stretch of the reality. Love is so much more. Love is hard. If you talk to anybody that's married in the room, they would say, absolutely, amen. Can I have another? Love is hard. Love takes guts. Love takes strength. Love takes boldness. Love takes courage. Love doesn't wither away, hide, or coward. Love is in your face, honest and real, raw. Love is emotional, yeah, but love is logical as well. Love takes thought, decision. It takes intentionality. It takes you getting up out of your seat and doing something for somebody else that you would never think about doing. Love hurts. It's painful. Love is selfless. Love is absolutely not about you, but all about the people that are next to you. Love takes a lot out of us. And I have to ask you, have you ever loved? I have to ask myself every day, how much do I love? How can I love? And the reality is, love looks a lot different than what we make it out to be. On the one hand, love can be like the the little heart that's happy and cute, you know, that we see on Valentine's Day or that we write in a note and send it across the room. But, but true love is this kind of heart. This heart is nasty. This heart beats 100,000 times a day. This heart pumps 1.5 gallons of blood through our body. This heart gives you life. This heart brings about life. This heart represents so much more than just the, the frivolousness of Valentine's Day. This heart represents the fact that we can love boldly, that we can love sacrificially, that we can love in a way that doesn't display our glory but displays Jesus' glory. This love takes surrender. Surrendering to the change that we have every single day to drop to our knees and say, Lord, I need you. This love is bold. Paul talks about it in this way. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human elegance or ange an angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt. I'm desperate without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, 
doesn't keep score of sins of others, doesn't revel with when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Love gives life. There's a man um, named Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce um, was a, a Scottish noble, a commander. And upon his deathbed in 1329, his one wish was that his heart be ripped out from his chest and that with a noble knight be carried to a crusade. That somebody would literally wear his heart around their neck. And so James Douglas, right by his bedside, said, I will be that man. I will carry your heart. And so James carried his heart through countless crusades. A year later, James Douglas went from Scotland to Spain and fought in a crusade that landed him surrounded by the enemy. And death was at his doorstep. And James Douglas took the heart of his king, took it off of his neck, put it up in the air, and said, may I fight for the heart of my king. And he threw it at the enemy, and he died on the spot. May I fight for the heart of my king. May we fight for the heart of our king, because he has fought for ours. Church, may we fight for the heart of our king, because Jesus Christ has fought and died for ours. May we separate together from the world to advance his kingdom for his glory. May we love well. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.